HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, today is September 17th, Tuesday, 2019. We've got a special show today. Um, Homebrewers have been an important part of the New York City scene uh, since homebrewing started and and, uh, the craft beer scene started over 20 years ago. Um, Just back in the spring, uh, our favorite beer writer, Jeff Allworth, uh, in Bervana blog, wrote about um, how homebrewers built New York. And that's when we had Brett Taylor and Jeff Lyons with us, who, who had started out as award-winning home brewers. And, um, you know, now they're both professional brewers. And uh, we've also had a lot of other home brewing news lately. Um, our, our good buddy, John LaPolia. Hey, John, how are you? Hey there, Jimmy. How you doing, uh, man? Bitter and Esther won me. what award? We won a homebrew shop of the year from the American Homebrews Association. Yeah, so, that, you know, the thing about home, home brewing in New York, it's like everywhere you turn... There's uh, home brewers who are now working in breweries, opening breweries, but then there's also you know this little homebrew shop, Bitter and Esters, that is a resource for so many brewers. So, um, Brett, say hello. Hello, Brett Taylor, from Wild East Brewing Company. Wild East Brewing, and uh, today's a special day. I'm covering because we're waiting for Jeff Lyons uh, from Keg and Lenton, but um, it's a special day because Josh Bernstein, who uh, who many of you know as a New York Times, uh, and you know. Author and uh, prolific a book of, author. Prolific book author. Thanks, Matt. Um, he's got a new book coming out. What's the name of the book, Brett? Uh, Drink better beer. Drink better beer, and he's going to be doing a launch party at at our our construction site. Uh, there's uh, wild going nice. to be a <laughs> going to be a brewery. One of these days, called Wild. So there's a lot of things that, that it's the time with homebrew. Josh was one of the guys that 
recognized from an early stage how important the homebrew scene was. He he, he did he hosted tours. His last book was called Homebrew World, where he t- took his like explore, exploration of homebrewers to other other uh, countries and everything. So, um, but let's just start talking. So, John, congratulations! You won. Uh, Homebrew Shop, homebrew shop of, the of the Year. And uh, th- what we actually won was uh, the American Homebrews Association asked the ho- homebrew shops to have their cl- uh, their clients, their, their customers, to nominate them for this award. And so it was not so much like, you're the best homebrew shop, but it was more, here is what your customers think of you, and we got a lot of customers who said, yeah, no, these guys should should win this. And what I really liked about it, I mean, obviously it was nice to validate the work we've done for the past eight years, but what I really liked was also that it was uh, showing New York City in a different light because there's tons of homebrew shops. There was over 130 homebrew shops that were nominated for this award. And the West Coast is covered with them, right? So some, you would think someone in the West Coast would win or someone in the uh, Midwest would win, but they picked out the only homebrew shop in New York City, and it was because of how strong this scene is here, and it, it made us feel good that there was like a, another light shine on here. The, the craft brew and the homebrew scene in New York City is just unbelievable right now. Brett, uh, yeah, I mean, and Bitternesters is the heart of of it. Uh, you know, I um, we were talking before we came on that you know John said I didn't teach Brett how to brew, but at the same time, I I have I frequently can have questions for John yesterday I was literally in the sh- shop yesterday and um and uh Jack helped me uh he's one of the employees there he helped me uh pick out some some draft equipment that I needed for this event that we're doing tonight and um you know my you know I, I don't make drafts just put together draft systems on the regular especially home homebrew ones now that I, I work in beer and um it was really great to have somebody sort of just uh tell me what I needed and and uh, you know there, there's no shame as a pro brewer and having having your your local homebrew shop tell you this is what you need to do this and this and this because um, they I I deal with what interests me in beer and they deal with like every aspect of beer so <laughs> I try to yeah and Jack has such a nice English accent though too it that's does. It does. it's it's, it's, it's very it, pleasant it is very pleasant he's got a very pleasant accent. Well, good. And, um, you know, Jeff Lyons is coming in. So, Brett, you know, the article in Jeff Alworth's blog, you talked about a lot of things about homebrewers who are now brewing. Tell us about Jeff Lyons as he's walking in. <laughs> I mean, How so... How you guys work together at some of the homebrew clubs you guys are on. Well, so I know Jeff because once upon a time in New York City, there were two homebrew shops. And I met Jeff at the one that was actually closer to me. So, so because he was working there. Because he was working there. You know, we hired him first, and they took him. I did not yeah, know that. That's the truth. <laughs> wow, the truth about Jeff Lyons is coming out. <laughs> New York City homebrew to pro hey. legend hey, Jeff. Jeff Lyons. How are you, Jeff? Hey guys. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. All right, we just were chatting about uh, bitter and esters winning the homebrew shop of the year. Yay! Yeah. Now, Brett, keep going. He's going. Uh, he's introducing you. Yeah. So, oh, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to introduce Jeff. Uh, so, so Je- uh, Jeff worked at uh, at Brooklyn Homebrew, the other homebrew shop. Um, and I think they might have they might have predated you. Yeah, about about two years. Oh, okay. Wow. So, yeah, quite a, by a bit. So, um, I would I used to go to the shop. It was close to my apartment, and then it moved even closer to my apartment. And uh, and and you know, Jeff was a guy who would. I, when I would go in there, we would, you know, we would 
I couldn't get out of there because we would always talk about mixed fermentation beers, which is what our, our, what our, our true loves. And, and Great. Um, so let's jump. So beer. now um, let's talk about some of the homebrew legends or people that were winning prizes in, in your different homebrew competitions, you know, and who are now at brewing at breweries. You want to let's start talking about some people. Uh, Chris Kuzmi. That's, that's a good <laughs> that's one. A, that's, a, that's a number one. So tell me about Chris and where he's, where he's working now. Uh, he owns Fifth Hammer Brewing with his wife, Mary Izette. Uh, and the great he, Dave Sharfstein. And Dave, and Dave Sharfstein, yeah, but he, he's not a brewer. He's not a brewer. No, uh, but Chris definitely was, you know, home brewer all the way. I'm in a band with him called the Home Brewsitions, which we kind of have to change the name to the Pro Brewsitions, I think, because... <laughs> <laughs> They're all, you're losing them all. We're, we're, everyone's going pro in the band, pretty much. <laughs> uh, another one I think of is someone who's... Um, Working with uh, with Chris right now is Oscar Stern. You guys know Oscar? Yeah. Yeah, so he was definitely homebrew, homebrew, and he's gone. Uh, he's trying his best to go pro. He's climbing that ladder, right? Uh, Oscar's working with us. Oh. At Keg and Lantern. I, I lied. He started. He, he was at. Uh, he started with us, yeah. He started with you, yeah. and then he went to Fifth Hammer? Yeah. Is he at both? Both. You know, that's, that's this town, we're, man. We're sharing the love. The number that's of people town. who started Fifth Hammer. I mean, the, I'm sorry, at Keg and Lantern, it's... Uh, right, you guys are the springboard. Yeah. You guys are starting everywhere. I mean, uh, I think you said, and Garrett Oliver said, that it's kind of the farm... There's different breweries that are like the farm team for the pros. Yeah. We're like, we're like the, the double A. People work <laughs> at my store, and then they go to yeah. another brewery and then another brewery. I, the head brewer at uh, Six Point used to work for me. Uh, one of the owners of KCBC right. used to work in my store. Yeah, we it's we're we're definitely like. Let's talk about your story because um, it, it was a number of years ago. I uh, was working closely with Chris Kuzme, and he'd worked at Five Hundred Eight Gastro Brewery. And for a brief moment at my Jimmy's Number Forty Three, <laughs> I was talking to him, and I even talked to Jason Saylor about there's a there was a back prep room that was tiled with with plumbing and electric that could have been a little small restaurant brewery license. And Chris Kuzme said to me, "What did he say?" So take a take a class at Bitter Nesters, learn how to brew, Jimmy. So it was like, what uh, was it, Brewery One Hundred One? Yeah, yeah, the, the very basics. Yeah. So I, I, I've you know I've been a chef and a cook and all that, but I've got my limitations. And it was two hour class. Everything J- John just kept spraying sanitizer on everything. <laughs> and what's the sanitizer you recommend, John? Star Sand is the sanitizer that I sprayed on you, Jimmy. It was everything he, he sprayed I'm, on. So. My my tombstone's going to say. John Lapola, the guy who talked Jimmy Carboni out of brewing beer. That's what I was going to say. It's my epitaph. I'm, I'm a skillet cooker. Let Cruzet all the way. Yeah. yeah. And then Jeff, uh, and you, so you guys, Keg and Lantern, you've also been like this little farm team. I mean, for me, it was like you were at Greenpoint before, but at Keg and Lantern, Patrick worked there. Now he's at West Kill Brewing. Tell us about some of the people that, that have been well, gone through where you've worked. Absolutely. But even to, to wind it back uh, a gear or two, um, when when Kuzme was at 508, that was my first gig. Uh, he brought me on part-time at, at 508, and so that allowed me to have the skills that when Greenpoint Beer and Ale was hiring, uh, I was able to, to get that job and one thing to another. Yeah. Um, so I was in a homebrew club with Chris Prout uh, at the Brooklyn Bruisers, uh, and I think that was my in uh, for Greenpoint Beer and Ale. PJ was uh, one, of the, one of the early members of PJ. the Bruisers, and so I... I knew him from there, so that was when he needed some help. He reached out to me, thinking, "Hey, you're working at the homebrew shop. You must know somebody who is looking for some part-time work and and looking to get into the industry." I was like, "Yeah, let me think about it overnight. I'll get you a list in the morning." And 
by the morning, I'm like, yeah, me. <laughs> I can do both. <laughs> I can do both. List. Like, get me, get me in on both places. I want to learn yeah. two systems. Uh, so that was actually, I, I worked part-time under PJ at, Green, uh, at uh, Keg and Lantern, then went full-time at Greenpoint. PJ brought in uh, a couple people, Ben uh, from the homebrew shop. And then you were you were right after that, yeah. You yeah, I was, Brett was working. So, so then Brett Taylor, and uh, so that was your first gig, sort of with Strong Rope. I started Jason with Strong Rope. I had started with Strong Rope about a year before. Oh. I'd been, I was just working there a day or two a week, uh, and then yeah, then Kegelina was the first full time gig. And that's just jump, jump ahead to the future. So, <clears throat> you guys now, Brett. You know, you, I know you'd worked at some point at Six Point. You'd done something at Strong Rope, Keg and Lantern. But now you guys are opening Wild Yeast, and you're very close to opening. So, like, what are some things that you've learned, you know, in this this step up from home brewer to, to now soon opening your own brewery? Oh, everything. <laughs> Literally everything that I know, uh, and that's it's only a fraction of what's what I need to know. Um, it, it, uh, wow, it's hard to pick specifics. Um, I mean, definitely all of the approaches that I want to use, The what I've learned in the course of um, working it, at, in the tight confines of the basement at Keg and Lantern uh, has helped inform how I sort of array my tanks in my space that I'm building. Um, you know, the, uh, what I learned at, what I've learned at Fifth Hammer is, you know, is so much of the approach that I use. Um, you guys, do yes. you guys think that it's better to start that way, to, to start work your way up from homebrew to working in a, a very small brewery to kind of prove yeah. that you're really interested in it? I mean, it's like paying your dues in some sense. People ask me this all the time. They, they come, this happens all the time. Hey, I, I made my first beer. I want to open a brewery. <laughs> and so what do I do? I'm like, well, the first thing you should do is see if you can get a job at a brewery. Like, no, I want to open one. I'm like, yeah, so go work at a brewery. Go flip kegs. Go see what the actual workflow is. The brewers are extremely gregarious. They will work with you. If you are really interested, they will. They see talent, and they'll do it. So you go, and you work. You'll find out pretty quick whether you want to open a brewery, right? I'd also argue for making 50 more home brews. Um, yeah, no, I yeah. know, I know. <laughs> I would argue for that, too, because that's my business. Yeah. Well, make 50 more, and then you'll get the certificate. And then, <laughs> so, 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 some of us keep home brewing, even though we're working yeah. professionally. Which I love. Yeah, yeah. Of course. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And it's very true. All you people out there, keep doing both. Keep brewing. Strive for keep, both. Whatever it so is, even though you're, you're brewing all day, Jeff, you still do some home brewing? Absolutely. I'd and say what do you, on, what on you doing, once a week. What yeah. are you doing in your home brew that's different from what you're making at Keg and Lantern? Oh, uh, it depends on when you catch me and when you ask me. Um, I think a lot of it is definitely exploring the world of New York State ingredients, um, trying to both replicate beers with New York State ingredients that I've made with all the ingredients that are available throughout the world, and just sort of using them in the you know for the unique uh, character that they possess, and sort of following where that leads you and trying to, I mean, I guess more or less to put words on it is just find new styles, just find where that, where that leads you to. But, uh, some, sometimes it's just trying different yeast and trying different combinations of, uh, yeast and bacteria and, and Britannomyces and just trying to push different directions just so you have more tools in, in your wheelhouse when you might have a different idea for, for a commercial brew. You know, if I, if I wanted to 
pretend I was making a beer, I would go take a <laughs> class of bitter and esters because I know that that beer would come out really clean and, and technically perfect. But what did you bring? Because you just brought us a, a growler of something. This from is a, a Citra Pale Ale, but the interesting thing about this is it has a, a, a Norwegian Kvike yeast, the uh, magic yeast that we can ferment really, really hot and really, really quick. So this was done pretty quick. This was probably uh, reached terminal gravity in about three days. And um, you, pitch it at, you pitch it at 90 degrees and you scream, you know, what, can it, what else are you going to get out of it? And it yeah. just, you it, you it should explain great. what you mean by that. Uh, so the Norwegians, when they pitch this yeast, which is a non-phenolic yeast, it can ferment very hot. If you know anything about brewing, that's very rare. It's pretty much Norwegian. And then uh, to, in order to scare the demons away that might make the beer bad, you scream when you pitch the yeast, when you add the yeast. And so it's fun. It's a Norwegian scream. Never made any sense to me, these Norwegian yeast that... Can you do it, John, on so hot. Just back up, not right into the mic, but do this. Ah! So it's like the Norse gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. Screaming. It feels good. Yeah. We're, we're always... Yeah. <laughs> do you scream? Do you, you guys use Kvike? I, no, I, I, don't, I, I have not. I, I've only used it at Fifth Hammer. I, yeah, I haven't used it otherwise. Do you scream? Uh, no. Well, you know. We did, we did a show with, with uh, Pete Langle last year. He had come back from a Scandinavian trip. But um, so, so that's part of what you're able to do at Bitter and Esters. You're able to play around with different yeasts. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we have kind of the ultimate hobby shop, so we can do whatever we want. That's the cool thing about home brewing. And I just wanted to mention, uh, uh, Jeff was at Brewer's Choice repping Keg and Lantern, but he pulled out some homebrew when he was there, uh, which was really cool. <laughs> I was like, shit, that's great. And let's talk about style. So, Jeff, one thing I've really been excited about, the beers that you're making the last year, every time you've been on the show, you're, you're bringing in different types of lagers and Kolsch. Um, yeah, what did you bring today? Lunch, my God. Yeah, I, I want to give a shout-out to you. When I look at in Wild East, you, Brett, you can aspire to this. I just looked on the Kagan Lantern website today. I don't usually, but I did because I'm, I'm meeting you guys. And, Jeff, I have to say the, the beer lineup looks really great. I mean, did you make all the beers on, on the list at Kagan Lantern? Um, I'd say over the past couple months, I've, I've been distracted by trying to, to open a second location. Um, and we've had the good fortune of having Oscar Stern with us. And so he's been knocking out maybe two, sometimes three batches a week oh, for great. us. So he's really, he's been instrumental in keeping us afloat. Um, he's a cool dude this, too. But I like is how much credit you guys are giving to other people. And that's a really generous spirit. Is that typical for, for the, for the brewers in the city? I hope so. I, I mean, so. that's, that's what, that's absolutely. what brought me in. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the, I always, I always, I probably say it every time I'm on this show, but community is is what this is all about to me, and and it's, it's that you know exactly what you're talking about, which is which is what I'm always looking for more of. Everybody knows everybody here. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just and the beer just flows in like a infinity loop. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really matter who the brewery is. It's just everyone yeah. knows everyone. With with a few notable exceptions, everybody is really really supportive of one another. And uh, sorry that I over. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't say notable. And You're good. Sorry. I'm just not. In, I want Jeff to pour one of his beers. Pour a beer, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but, I mean everybody's very. It's it's just like I mean we're we're doing an event tonight with John Josh, Josh Bernstein his book event party at our space and it's a first look at our at our location uh, for Wild East and. I mean, there's going to be such a huge number of people from the brewing community there, and they're going to be, they're they're very excited for us. They're like, you know, they they they've been very supportive. We we wouldn't be able to open a brewery without 
without the help that we've had from from Fifth Hammer and KCBC especially, uh, but so many other breweries as well. We just uh, did an event at your your place last week, which is all homebrew. You yeah. guys uh, hosted homebrewers for a, a charity event. Dudes do good. Dudes do good. Dudes do good. Yeah, that was Sam. great. It was all homebrew. Great beer. Yeah. yeah. What, what beer is this, Jeff? This is our uh, second beer. So this is just a, a one-off lager that we uh, just put up last week at Keg and Lantern. Um, very lazily and last-minutely named Sapphire Pills. Uh, it, <laughs> it features a German hop named Sapphire. So. I guess that. There we go. Uh, sometimes you're under a time <laughs> crunch and you haven't put in your homework uh, time. Before. This beer is called Horn and Dahl Citra. The one that I yeah, there, yeah, there we go. There we go. Just describing the beer in the name is is not the worst thing in the world. No, it's not. But uh, we have uh, it actually has gotten a, a better than usual response. I've had a number of people just text me out of the blue in the evenings, being like, "I'm at Keg and Lantern drinking this," and that's not something that I experience all the time. So. When I have five or six or seven people do that within a few days, like it certainly stands out, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll put some more thought into the name and tweak the <laughs> recipe and and make it again, kind of thing. How about uh, more homebrewers who actually became pro brewers? We, we kept talking about Jason Saylor. It's just no, oh, gosh, and it, yes. just kind of throwing that around. And Jason Saylor is this amazing homebrewer who took the whole New York thing and, and ran it. Uh, further than anybody at uh, Strong Road Brewing, absolutely. You know? So he's a, I'm a big fan. Like, it. Yeah. well, we got a we got a whole room full of love for Jason. In, yeah, absolutely, in here. We got a whole yeah. city full of love for Jason. <laughs> and uh, let's keep going. Another one. Uh, well, I mean, to sort of to sort of finish up on where we were going earlier. I mean, um, I had the fortune of when I moved over to Keg and Lantern to be working with Brett. And then when Brett moved to, to Fifth Hammer, we were able to bring on uh, Alex Biederman. We had him right. working on Saturdays for us, and then we were able to bring him on full-time. And he's just recently moved over to to work full-time over at Strong Rope with Jason. Um, so you see all these concentric circles and yeah. loops. Um, but yeah, then we had, we had Oscar working Saturdays with us, and now he's been able to come on not full-time with us, but full-time between us and, and Fifth Hammer. Um, and just sort of, you know, we had uh, we had Robert Sherrill was, was able to come on and work with us for a while before he moved over to, to L.A. And so I, I feel like certain people are set up at the right size and they're working at the right pace where it's, it's very feasible to bring on somebody who has no experience whatsoever on a commercial scale. So somebody who sort of understands the concepts of, of how to make beer and certainly has a decent palate and a good mind and a lot of motivation for it. Um, there are certain places around the city that it's just, it's natural for them to fit in for that to be their first job. And I think there's also something to be said for a bunch of us homebrewers always kind of keeping an eye out for trying to trying to lend a hand out to, to be that first in. I mean, I know for me, when I first started making homebrew, and first encountered you because you opened up your your back room for us to do the BJCP class at. Uh, that was really early on for me, and all I really wanted to do was get a foot in the door and figure out a way into this industry, and to think about this all day and to be around all these wonderful people all day. And I would I was reminiscing about all the wild things I thought I might be able to do early on just to get a foot in the door. And it, it's insane. I should have never even entertained these ideas. But it was just like, whatever it takes to get in. And I don't think I'm ever going to lose 
that feeling that I had then and want to make it so much easier for, for somebody else. There's so many more opportunities now than there were even just five or six years ago. And it's, it's awesome to be able to, to turn around and give somebody a, 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 a hand in. And Brett, I know you mentioned that at one point you worked at Six Point and you called that the farm, the farm team for startups. This is about yeah, 14, so 12, 14 years it ago. Was, uh, in two, I was there in 2011. It was, I was an intern. They had, a, they had a robust internship program of people who worked maybe one, one or two days a week. Um, you weren't paid. It was just you went there because it was, it was aggressive homebrewers who would, who would bring beer down to them and, and you know, sort of beg for one day a week um, to, uh, to uh, you know, just basically do cellar work and clean. But again, that was this in the, the small, in, the yeah, Red Hook location, yeah, yeah, which totally. was, again, a small, like, what was the system size there? Uh, it's a 20-barrel, I believe. Um, That's like, their pilot system, right? Well, nowadays, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, and I, I've yeah. actually, I've been in there where, where yeah. they've been, uh, what was the, the event they used to do? Um, Beers for beasts. Beers for beasts. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there a few years with with a crew making you know batch beers there too, um, and then but g- going ahead of the guy the guys I have to point out where Chris Kuzme actually got started, uh, Kelly Taylor when yeah, when uh, Greenpoint uh, in Kelso was in, was in Clinton Hill Brooklyn. Let's talk about Kelly because so many people work worked for him and, and started out. Who wants to name names? Uh, Tony Bellis. Yeah. Tony so, Bellis. Uh, you said. Teach one-on-one classes at my store and KCBC, uh, yeah, KCBC. Um, Sam and Matt, who and Matt, who yeah. have opened other half. They, right. It's my understanding is they met there, both worked there and met there. It's my understanding too. Uh, I think at one point Sam was like the main brewer at yeah for yep. Green Point slash Kelso. I, I think for the bulk of the time that Kelly was open over there, Kuzmi was also was a, yeah, a main brewer. Um, I I know that when. Uh, Five Way Casterbury was looking for a brewer. It was uh, Kelly Taylor who recommended Kuzme yep. to Jan over there. So yeah. there, there is this direct connection, and, and that wasn't that long ago. I, I want to give shout, shout outs to Kelly Taylor because just five years ago he was president of the New York City Brewers Guild, and he was uh, running one of the larger breweries in the city. So I think we quickly forget that not too long ago he he was a, a very important guy. It's hard to forget Kelly, and, and not only one of the. I mean, in a, in a way, one of the larger, but in a way, he was the one at that point who was who was the most open to bringing in yeah. fresh blood and, and giving people a, a way in. Yeah, I mean, the, we're forgetting loads of people, but there are yeah. there are so many people that yeah, I mean, that, that owe their also start um, to him. for the a bre- the, the Brewers Association, Home Brewers Association. Uh, a winner of the national what's what's the national home brewer award? Oh, uh, 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 home brewer of the year. Yeah, uh, Pete, Pete Salmon. Was and Oscar and Eric and then Pete went on. So Kelso. Pete went on to right, right. Um, other half for other a while. half. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And what is Oscar brewing? Oscar. Nope. No. Home, homebrew. He's a homebrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, Those the guys three, still homebrew. Yeah, the three of them yeah. still homebrew together. Yeah. But they, you know, to listeners, you know, there, there's a lot of really insider information. <laughs> but just to get a sense, we keep going on and on, and you know, there's a lot of of people that have come up through this homebrew group. But what's different about New York City than from like homebrewing in Portland or, or some other place? I think Because a lot of other places, it, there's a lot of people homebrewing. I met a guy yesterday. He's a lawyer. He's like, oh, when I was in college, I was homebrewing. He's only like 25 years old. I mean, a lot of people homebrew. But that also doesn't mean, are, are they reaching the levels that, that you guys have? Well, I, I, I think, you know, in New York, if you're going to homebrew, you're going to really want to homebrew. I, I think if you're going to take 
a good portion of your apartment to make beer, then you uh, really, really want to uh, make beer. I, uh, Robert Sherrill used to tell a story about uh, his husband was asleep on the couch, and he went over to him, and he kind of shook him and said, I'm going to put a brewery in the living room. And he was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And the next day, <laughs> he had a brewery in the living room. He's like, you agreed to it. Uh, so, you know, that's it's like sort a, of a drum set. I always think a lot of the, yeah, the like homebrew thing, <laughs> it was like a, what a garage band would have been. Exactly. Another generation. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ramones of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of New York. So, some of us don't even uh, have the consideration to wake our partner and trick them into saying, <laughs> okay. Some of us just show up with the brewery. Right. And then it expands and it expands and force our to-be wife down the line, to-be wife, uh, to live in the midst of a brewery just because you're hard-headed enough to So make thank it you happen. to all the partners who oh, put up with yeah. this. Yeah. That oh, being man, said, I, I, I can't speak for any other city because I've only been a home brewer in this city, but I, I feel like when I look at the, the Bruminaries, which is like the, the biggest, most uh, active uh, homebrew club in, in New York City and, and is John LaPaula is direct, directly responsible for its formation. Um, I see a lot of couples that brew, and I wonder if that's because True. of the size of the apartments. Like, you have to be all in when you live in such a small space. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. I guess we do see a lot of the couples brew, so I guess if you can talk your partner into it. Uh, I think a lot of times it's the women talking the men into it uh, to get them brewing. And I just I want to mention one of my, my former employees who is a home brewer, became a pro brewer, is Ariel Schwartz. Mm-hmm. You guys know Ariel? She's yeah, a so brewer at McKellar. Just want to mention that. I mean, there's so many of them. We're, but we're, we're always, I mean, I think, were you and I working when she came on over there? Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, we yeah, yeah. and I know each other. I don't know yeah. if we were working together or not, yeah, but we, we, yeah. we saw each other shortly after hearing that, and we were just yeah. super excited for yeah. her. Uh, we're, we're always so excited to see the home brewer get, get on. Guys, this is a great conversation. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Go Katie Kiefer and uh, cheers to Wisconsin cheese. All right, so um, we're back talking about home brewers, how they built New York craft beer scene. John, you had a question. Well, it's not, uh, one of the uh, things that I noticed about home brewers and, and why they are great to hire in a brewery is because home brewers will actually read all the all the blogs and listen to all the podcasts and will have a, a, an amount of information that, you know, a pro doesn't have the time for. The pro's trying to make beer, make sure that it sells, you know, running a business. It's a business, whereas homebrewers have that uh, ability to make the hobby be really intense. And that's one thing that I've learned. I learned so much from my customers that they'll come in and say, hey, have you tried this or have you done this technique? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm running a business, but this is something I should know. Uh, do you guys see that? Uh, do, you, do you notice that, you know, the more you talk to a home brewer, the more home brewing, brewing you know about? Oh, I, I, I witnessed that on all sides. I witnessed that from starting brewing and going to homebrew meetings and, and being a sponge and accepting all of that. Uh, being at the homebrew shop and sort of being 50-50. Some people, you give all the info you have to them. Some, some like you're saying, you just take it in, you just let them give it to you. So how, how do you, how do you guys feel? I mean, I'm not naming any names, but over the years, you know, owning a craft beer bar, um, there's always that home brewer who comes in with a, with a sample for you to try. And how do you handle that? What if you don't think their beer so good? That's my entire life, by the way. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> I, but we're not talking about those people. <laughs> I, I know I'm in the minority, but I, I'm super direct. I'll I'm tell them. I, 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 I'll tell them. I'm, I'll be as straightforward as I can about what's going on, what I perceive, what I think is happening, and then start to talk to them about their process and, and what they're doing and what, what they might do differently so that they could make better beer the next time around. I don't, I do I don't think too. there's any worth in and trying do, to do beat around that, the bush. Do you think know, so, that some of the, the top homebrew competitions – in New York City and things like the BJCP classes, do you think that th- there is like a, a level that's that you can make your mark at as a home brewer in New York? You can someone can change that question? Do you mean could you be the best home brewer in New York? Yeah, like if you thing? were a good home brewer and you you are the judges good enough and the criteria good enough and the competition good enough? That you could actually say, yes, that's a really good brewer. Yeah, but you know, it. Uh, Considering a brewer, that a millions wins, of people homebrew and a lot of them make just okay beer. Uh, a brewer will make great beer and win a, a contest, but then the next time they'll still make great beer and not win the contest. So yeah, the contests exactly. are fairly subjective, even though they have rigorous uh, guidelines to go by. But you do see that. You're. Um, but you see a lot of the same people <laughs> winning a lot too, the ones that really, really make good beer. Yeah. And you know, and to be fair, I mean I've won a lot of I've won a lot of awards in Humber competitions and, and the way to sort of stack the deck is to uh is to no, I just make brew fun. more. It no is to like is to like brew the beers that you know you can win awards with. <laughs> like there there's certain there's certain styles that as a pro brewer I won't I know that homebrewers are going to make better than I'm going to make. And those are like, like probably have a Weizen because I've, I've only made it when Chris Guzmi from fifth hammer wrote a recipe and I followed that recipe. Uh, it's not a beer that I, I don't, I have, I don't have a big history with it. Also like 
Rosh beer. Like, I don't do smoked beers, really. So I guarantee you home, a homebrew is going to make that beer better than I am because if, they, if that's what they care about, I mean, if it's somebody who cares about it, they're going to make it better than I do because they know it, you know? I, I certainly think, uh, I agree with all that, but I, <clears throat> I certainly think that if somebody is serious about homebrewing and uh, wants, to, wants to go further with it, it, I don't think it takes very long for the word to start getting around. I mean, the homebrew community started very, very tight, um, mostly because of some of the laws and because of the lack of commercial opportunities that we all had to further ourselves and to, to move into professional positions. I think that's some of what we talked with, uh, with Jeff Allworth about um, after the show here a, a few months ago, which sort of spurred the basis of this show. But, um, you know, I, th I think that community was tight and I think that even though it's grown it's still tight enough that I only get to two or three of those meetings every month but I still know a certain number of people and I taste a number of beers but even if I'm not at a certain meeting I know somebody else who was and if somebody's consistently making good beer it's not going to be very long before we all start hearing about that and knowing that person and tasting those beers and starting to to see them sort of set themselves head and shoulders above and getting a, job. a different group yeah, yeah. yeah. hopefully if, if that's what they want absolutely yeah I, we do our monthly beer swap every first Wednesday where homebrewers come in and, and share beer. And we've been doing it for eight years. So I've been, I try to taste every single beer. So I, I can taste 80 beers in a night. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for that. Um, but uh, as far as what I would I say to people, I, I generally uh, try to tell them what they did wrong. And try to encourage them so that they'll they'll make better beer. And a lot of times, the fun thing about that for me is the detective part. Do you guys ever do this when someone gives oh, you yeah, a beer? Absolutely. And you're like, so what temperature do you ferment this yep. at? Uh, someone gave me something one time, and I said, you didn't have enough malt, and then you added corn sugar to make the gravity. And they're like, how did you know that? I'm like, because it's on my it's in my mouth, you know, I can totally t <laughs> yeah. taste that. So th that sort of feedback um, is really helpful for, for people. Uh, and then in the swap, the good thing is the uh, feedback of other brewers also. Like just one pallet's not enough. You can't go up to one person and say, here's my beer. Tell me everything that you know about it because we're all different, right? And what we perceive and what we like. Uh, so the community is very important for that. I'm always pushing community for that reason, but it is. It's really important for us all to kind of grow together. At a meeting, you also, not only are you taking one beer and getting multiple opinions, you're also tasting multiple other beers, mm -hmm. which if you were isolated in a bubble, you'd have to brew all those beers to taste them, to learn about them. But if we all show up with beers and we all share them, then we all grow from everybody else's experience and everybody else's is work. Brett, it just in, in the article, Jeff Allworth's article, you mentioned um, one home brewer who inspired you, who stayed home as a home brewer, but it seems like he's taught a lot of people. Fritz Furno, tell us about the early days. Fritz. Oh my God, Fritz is the best guy. Um, he Fritz, so Fritz and his wife Jen used to have this apartment on uh, on Kane Street in Cobble Hill. Um, and they had an open door policy where basically if their outside light was on, you were welcome to just drop in. And I, I lived around the corner from them. And um, uh, I, I, I took them up on it and I met, I met so many people uh, from the homebrewing, or from the, the homebrewing who, and as a result, 
of what we're talking about throughout this show, the ProBurn community now, um, I met so many people there, and um, it was such a great atmosphere because you would have people who worked at, like, I met Mike Lavulo, who's a... Uh, uh, it was a union beer union rep. beer rep, yeah, and uh, and I met I met a lot of um, the top homebrewers around, and I we it was a big it was a essentially a big bottle swap. We were all we were you know there would be bottles of Cantillon coming out, there'd be bottles of of homebrew, there'd be it would just be all mixed together. You never know what you're going to get, and and it was such a great beer education. That's kind of a New York thing, don't you think? I that, think so. I think so. I, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've lived other places. Um, but New York is so dense that if you're like, hey, I'm a home brewer, you're going to run into a, a home brewer because they probably live pretty close to you. Yeah. And so that we, we end up having this density of people that, that are attracted to each other. I mean, in, in all other things, music and art and, and whatever, you, you see people kind of together and home brewing is just another part of it. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why the, the breweries are so kick-ass. In, in New York is because of the fact that we're all just well, I'll say there. one thing I noticed that, you know the last 10 years even there's a lot more professionalism um, amongst professional brewers but also more money and, and larger breweries so you might meet a brewer who went to a brewing school worked at Anheuser-Busch and is running a big system um, how do you think that person's experience differs from what you guys know coming up as, as, as home brewers and working in small batches and different styles. I mean, I think character-wise, you guys are more interesting. Uh, I'd rather talk to you guys than just a scientist engineer type. I'd rather talk to the scientists. <laughs> so you guys, I mean, so we have to learn from point, each other. No, no. I mean, I know I love everybody, but th- those people, you know, when you talk to someone who's like works for Anheuser-Busch, you sit down and you start talking to them about, you know, Genetics and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I get a real kick out of that. I'd, I'd rather I'd, talk to them. But I, I think everybody in this room is spoiled with being able to talk to brewers and the people that Jimmy was sort of tipping his hat to. Yeah. So if we do that all day, we're lucky enough to do that all day. So the variant might be, well, you get a scientist. This is great. This mm-hmm. is something different. Yeah. So I, I, I feel where you're coming from. Yeah. But we're certainly more interesting people than that. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you're a bunch of freaks. And let's go like back. Me. Last last question. So 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, what was a homebrew shop? And now how has it evolved to what you're doing and what John's doing at Bitter and Esther's? Well, when I first started homebrewing was 30 years ago. It was 1992. And the homebrew shop I went to was in Pennsylvania, in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. It was somebody's garage. And he uh, he milled everything by hand. And uh, the hops were crap and stuff. So I think that what's different now is that my shop gets the same things that the uh, breweries get. And sometimes the breweries will actually come to me if they're out of something. We have basically the same suppliers. Uh, so home brewers have access to not just super fresh and super high quality ingredients, but also the information because of the Internet and, again, yeah. because of the community and everything. So there's a, definitely a, a big rise of that information quality sometimes homebrewers are like what you're out of motueka how dare you and it's like well everybody's out of motueka like good luck with that yeah. um, and i love that actually because it's kind of like okay you're trying to make the best thing that you can make instead of something yeah. that tastes like beer right uh, and so yeah and what do you offer in the, you know this era where people can buy a lot of things online 
What do you offer that makes people come into the store? Service, service, service. Have you ever met anybody like John LaPolo? <laughs> while while you were you, shopping online? How many times have you been on the show? Probably like 15 yeah, times. Yeah, it seems like it. Well, and my, for me, like whatever was the homebrew shop in Manhattan in the 90s, it was uh, a place on Spring Street. It was kind of like a hybrid. You could get a, a home winemaking kit. Yeah. A lot of things had cobwebs on them. I bought, I bought a, my first uh, cider making kit there. It was, it was a little barrel and okay. you know, with a with a mother, you know, and everything was like kind of like dried and and it was either dried or it was like cobwebs, you know. <laughs> but that was a homebrew shop back then. It was like kind of everything. Do it yourself. Maybe they, maybe they had a yarn a yarn class there too. I don't know. <laughs> no yarn classes at Bitter Nessers. No, I I think that that interaction um, and also the building of the relationship. Um, you know, when I when I started at Brooklyn Homebrew, I was a young homebrew and I was scared to death of the people coming in. I thought they had more knowledge than me, and they did. Um, but, you know, over, over time you just sort of feel that out, but you start seeing the same faces and you start building a relationship. You start to know who brews what kind of things and what they're interested in. You, you don't have to start from scratch every time. You build on the conversation of where you left off the last time they were in. You know, good luck finding that online. Um, right. I agree. You, Thank you. You know, you, you can... <laughs> You can you can talk to these guys and and what you're interested in they're going to pick up on and they're going to try to provide more of those types of ingredients for you and serve exactly what you're trying to do and you, you can't do that online. Well, John, John, give props to you at, uh, at Bitter Nesters. You're also a community. You know, it's, it's a place to go. It's something I like. I like stores. I like going and interacting with people. If I worked all day and on a computer, the last thing I want to do is is go on a computer at night and explore my hobby. Yeah. I, no, I agree, and we and we take pride in that. You know, we really want people to come into the store. We have uh, international customers. We have people from all all over the world that come in, and it's not because of us. It's because of New York City. So they, they you know, a Brazilian. It's easier to come from Brazil to New York City and buy homebrew supplies than it is to buy homebrew supplies in Brazil. So we have millions of Brazilians who come into the, our store, and they're great. They have uh, fresh, crisp hundred dollar bills. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, and and so this uh, that's a, a cool thing about New York is that you and it's always been the cool thing about New York is that you see something bigger than your town. You see that you are part of a this giant thing that happens everywhere. Everyone knows New York, and people say, you know, why are you the only homebrew shop in New York? Honestly, I, I have no idea, but I think the main reason is because it's just so freaking expensive to do a business in New York, but we kick We kill ourselves. But you've also taken it to like the, the 3.0 level where your service, your classes, your expertise, even if pro brewers are coming to you and asking for advice and for checking out a, a, a new yeast or something, um, you know, and you're doing the Kvike, is it Kvike or Kvike? Kvike. Yeah. Kvike. I mean, that's pretty trendy. If you listen to beer sessions, right? Yeah. But, um, and Brad, last thing. So this is very exciting. Uh, how about this? You, you guys tell us what you're excited about tonight because we're leaving here in a few minutes and we're going to go to All together. a construction site <laughs> called Wildies Brewing in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Um, Brett, you, you're, tell us about this night because we can't wait till you open, but we're also excited just to go see your space. Oh, my God. Me too. So, uh, no, we're... <laughs> We're uh, we're hosting basically it's a uh, it's Josh Bernstein's new book Drink Better Beer uh, it's a it's a release party and um, he likes to have them in different places 
while at the same time, also, he likes to promote new breweries that are going to be opening. So we decided to do sort of a, a tandem event. And it's going to be um, where we made a bunch of um, a bunch of beers uh, that will be representative of the beers that we're going to make. Um, they are all home brews, actually. So it's very appropriate for this um, this show. We have a couple of mixed fermentation beers. We have a, we have an IPA. We have a, a Bohemian Pilsner. We, um, we have a 100% uh, Britannomyces fermented beer. Um, probably missing one. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's just it's sort of a cross-section. So as you guys are still make. waiting to open the brewery, yeah. you're, you're home brewing, you're still trying out yeah. recipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I have, um, I have uh, some, some New York... Uh, grown ingredients that are sitting waiting for me to to get a, a hot minute to uh to to brew a couple batches so that i can i can do some tests on some some yeast and bacteria blends that i want to do um now it's i homebrewing up until the up until the end so jeff you want to give any props to uh to brett and the wild east brewing team yeah all of them i oh man and give us is there it, one more beer or this, that's the last it's a it's another of, of what we open first uh We are inching towards a moment that I've been waiting for ever since I met Brett Taylor, and that is for him to open a brewery that he owns and has direct control over what beers are made and how they are made and how they are presented. Um, (laughs) I don't think I've ever been as excited for a brewery to open or as happy to see somebody coming as close as, as we are at this point to realizing, you know, the, 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 the dream, you know, everything that, that you, you work towards and think about and just dream about and, you know, put, put everything into, uh, I'm excited for tonight because he's so close, but the, the day when they're actually open to the general public and like that, that final realization of this 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 whole picture is is it's amazing. So what's going to happen in about five minutes? We're all going to get into a car. <laughs> we're going to drive from yeah. Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're not. All none of us are actually driving. Go on us. But um, somebody. We're going to have some fun, day. guys. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, here. Jimmy. Uh, everyone, Jimmy. One more thanks, time, Jimmy. everybody. Say your name and where you're from. John Lapola, Bitter Nesters, Brooklyn, New York. Dot com. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Lyons, Keg and Lantern. Uh, Brett Taylor, Wild East Brewing Company. Great. And you're also working at Fifth Hammer. And shout out, big props to Chris Kuzme, Mary Isaac. Thanks to Jeff Alworth for coming and covering the New York City scene. Um, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer, Justin Kennedy, um, engineer, Matt Patterson. And we're we're trying out some new uh, interns. We got this guy, Kevin, here. Hey, Kevin. (laughs) And uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.